It is, uh, it's just really cool to get to invite our special speaker for this morning, uh, all the way from Florida. And, he, you know, I would say he's a pastor, but that doesn't even begin to describe it. He's been a pastor in three countries for, I think it was 38 years. I don't know, a long time. And uh, not only has he been a pastor, but he's a teacher. He teaches through the Bible all over the place. Not only is he a teacher, he's an author. He's written books. One of the books that he'll mention today is Cat and Dog Theology, which is just awesome. And so you got all those things. But he also has been gifted by the Lord to help people understand this concept of missions and why it's so important for us as a church to engage. And so we brought him out today to speak specifically to finishing the task. So please give a big valley welcome to my friend, Dr. Gerald Robison. Well, good morning. I, I need to ask a very personal favor. If I was not here today, right now, I would be in Atlanta, Georgia, because my wife is there and she is with her mother celebrating her mother's 97th birthday. So, would you just say, uh, I call her Mama Ruth. Would you just say, happy birthday, Mama Ruth. So hopefully they're watching, and if not, well, so what? We tried. Okay. The ministry I've got is called To All Nations, and what that means is we're trying to recap, encapsulate the, the mission of what the church really is and getting out to all nations. Now, we sang a song a little earlier about Lord, light a fire in me. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I remember praying something like that. And I would see missionaries up on the stage and I'd say, oh Lord, I'd, I'd like to be like that. But the truth is, I don't want to. Uh, my want to didn't want to. Uh, I, I wanted more of God. I wanted that passion. I wanted that fire, but I wasn't kind of really willing to go through the whole process. And... Uh, so I, I began to listen to my preacher and he talked about how God wanted to bless me and watch over me and take care of me. And I thought, oh, that's what I want to sign up for right there. And, uh, you know, I noticed that uh, the book of, in the book of Revelation, in your Bible, John, uh, one of the things he describes the church as is a bride, the bride of Christ. Are you from, kind of familiar with that? The church being the bride of Christ. Well, let me show you a little video, short video of a bride, and let's see if that's the kind of bride we want to be. Okay, here she is. All right, uh, as I picture her, listen to her, I see a very selfish bride. But it made me ask the question, what would it look like if the church was a selfish bride? What if we thought it's all about us? God's here to take care of us, watch over us, and bless us. Jesus died for us. Maybe he lives for us too. He lives so I can live that safe, soft, easy, and comfortable life. And that's kind of the attitude of many Americans. We want to live from birth to death as safe, soft, easy, and comfortably as possible. Crisis, tragedy, oh no, we don't want that. God, please take that away. Just give me all that good stuff. And that becomes something of the chant or the slogan of many modern Christians. They read the Bible to see what God is going to do for them. Now, as we get into this, I'm going to ask you a very simple question about your Bible, and it goes like this. Who is the main character 
of the Bible. Real quick. I hear Jesus. I hear God. So I'm just going to throw God up on the screen. God is the main character of the Bible. But wait a minute. Maybe there's another main character. Maybe it's all about us, people, humanity, mankind. Is that the main character? And you're thinking, oh, I don't think so. I, th- I think it's God. Well, I know you think that you believe the main character is God, but it may not be what you really believe. Really? How's that? Well, let me explain it this way. When there's a new movie coming out starring one of my wife's favorite characters, somebody like, I don't know, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, my wife will nudge me and say, we need to go to the movies. (laughs) Why? Well, Tom Cruise is in the movie. Okay, so we get down to the theater. She sits down and the screen opens, the film begins to play, and who is she going to look for? Tom Cruise. And if there's an action scene, who does she expect to see? Tom Cruise. If there's a romance scene, who does she hope is there? Tom Cruise. And if there's something funny happening, who does she hope it's this? It's Tom Cruise. She's looking for Tom Cruise. Why? Because he's the main character. Now, if that holds true with your Bible, then if God is the main character, then as I turn the pages and read the stories, who should I be looking for? I ought to be looking for God. And I should ask questions like, where is God in this? How does God benefit from this? What's in this for God? What does God get? Unfortunately, that's not the way we're trained to read and teach or to even lead in Bible study. No, no. See, we, teach, we go through part of the scripture and then before the class or the sermon ends, we ask the question now that we've looked at the scripture, we need to answer the question, what does this mean to me? As if it's all about me. Oh. So I'm going to make a bold statement in getting started. And it goes like this. God is the main character of the Bible, and he lives to radiate his glory. It's not about me. It's about him. But while the average Christian today will say that God's the main character, we tend to live our lives trying to get from birth to death, safe, soft, easy, and comfortably. We tend to read our Bibles. Where am I in this? What am I going to get out of this? And we pray our prayers. God bless me. Watch over me. Take care of me. Thank you. Amen. You can go now. (laughs) And so I pray as if I'm the main character. And as a result, we're not living our life for God. We've been told and we've been trained to say that we do. Are you a Christian? Uh Uh-huh. Then who do you live for? Oh, I live for God. Really? Did you analyze that? How do you read the Bible? How do you pray? How do you live your life? You see, we've got a filter somewhere down inside, down in the soul, spirit, somewhere in there, I don't know. And I call it the WDIG, or what do I get? Or WDPG, what do people get? Instant filter. It means whatever we read, whatever we hear, whatever we listen to, whatever sermon we preach or hear, it's got to come out being about us. And if it's not, we're going to be bored. Let me show you what I mean. If I were to pick up a Bible and start reading right where God begins talking, Genesis chapter 1. You're familiar with the story? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God separated the light from the darkness, and the light he called day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening 
and the morning were the first day. Now, we're only at the end of verse 5. I could keep reading, but I've learned by experience, by the time I get to verse 15, people, there's a glaze that kind of comes over their eyes. And by the time I get to 18 or 19, they're thinking, is he going to read the whole chapter? Why? This is so, and the next word starts with the B. This is so, now you could have said beautiful. <laughs> Nobody ever does, but you could have said that. But well, why is it we don't find it beautiful? Why is it we do find it boring? Now, I've heard lots of answers, but I think the very best one is we're bored because it's not about us. Mankind doesn't even show up until the last five verses of the chapter. If it's not about us, we're going to be bored. And that's like a cancer that's creeping into the church. And cancer, when it creeps into your body, has to be dealt with. It has to be cut out or it can kill you. Now, I know a little bit about cancer. A few years ago, I was told and diagnosed with tongue cancer. Whoa. Who gets tongue cancer? Well, apparently me. <laughs> I've never heard of it before. And there are no, there's nobody out taking up collections for giving you pink ribbons for tongue cancer. It's not, nobody cares. In fact, they wish I wouldn't talk so much. <laughs> Have at it. So the doctor came and he said, we got to cut that out. I said, you got to cut what out? He said, the cancer. I thought, Phew. I thought you meant my tongue. He said, well, that's where it is. We're going to have to remove part of your tongue. And I thought, whoa, I'm a preacher. I need my tongue to talk. Am I, am I going to be able to talk afterwards? He said, I don't know. We don't know until we get in there and decide how much we have to remove. Did they remove part of my tongue? Yes, they did. Did I learn to talk again? Yes, I did. I went to an auctioneer school to learn to make my tongue work. But back on that day, the, the, the doctor came in and he said, I, I've, I've got some interesting news for you. We cannot replace that part of your tongue that we removed, but we were able to take some tongue material and graft onto your tongue to help the healing process. And then when the healing begins to take place, then that part that we grafted in is just going to fall off and you'll spit it out. And I thought, whoa, whoa, let's go back a minute. <laughs> you mentioned tongue material. <laughs> what is tongue material? He said, well, it's tongue material. Uh-huh. Well, where do you get it? He said, we got it from a cadaver. A, a dead guy? He said, yes, he wasn't using it anymore. <laughs> to this day, I do not know if that person was a Christian or not. So if I say anything offensive, it's the other guy talking. <laughs> also don't know if it was male or female, but I just noticed I talk a lot more now. <laughs> you really wanted what I was concerned about. How is this going to interfere with my life and it being safe and soft and easy and comfortable? And, you know, that's, that's the way we've been kind of trained to read our Bible. We mark the verses of God watching over us, taking care of us, blessing us. We buy a plaque hanging on the wall. How about that one from Jeremiah? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Ooh, that's a good one. I'll buy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but we've become so focused on ourselves that we begin to think not only is the Bible about us, but that's the reason I live my life. That's the reason Jesus died for me is it's all about me, me, me. Well, I want to show you this morning what it took me 48 years to learn. Okay. Well, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 12. There, this is an agreement that God is making with a man named Abraham. And it's one-sided agreement. God just tells him, here's what I'm going to do. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, when I look at that, I, I, you notice I've highlighted two lines, one on top and one on bottom. The one on top says, I will bless you. God does want to bless you. And then there's the one down on the bottom that says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, it's on bottom. It's about them, whoever them is, the peoples. Okay. Top, there's one on top. I will bless you. One on bottom, us blessing others. Now I've given a name to each one of those two lines, that line that you see on top. We're going to call it the top line. And the one on bottom, we're going to call the bottom line. That's right. Okay. Now, top line has to do with blessings, has to do with you and your relationship with God. And God does want to bless you, but he doesn't want it just for you. He sees through us to bless other people. You see, it's kind of like a garden hose. You, when you hook a hose up to a faucet over here and you want to get water to plants out there, you fill up the hose and you let it flow. It fills up the hose and then it lets out the other end. But the hose never diminishes its amount of water. But sometimes, what if the hose decided, I just want all this water for me? So we stick our hand over the other end of the hose and nothing gets out. What's the reason of having a hose? To get the water out there. And God says, this is you. I want to pour my blessings into you so that you pour them out into the thems of the earth. Amen. That's the idea. But if we clog up the system, you're about as good for the kingdom as a plugged up hose. So that brings up a responsibility. What do I do now that I've been blessed? God's, well, where are these blessings supposed to go? God's very specific. He said they are to go to the peoples. Well, no, that's a funny word, peoples. It's just the word people made plural. No, it's not. People's already plural. <laughs> well, then that's weird. I know. See, the S then tells us it came from a different root word. In fact, sometimes the word, it doesn't mean people. It means a group of people, a people group, a group that's distinguished from all the other groups by their language or their background or their skin color or their, their, their culture, or their religion, any number of things. Anytime you say us, you mean everybody that's in your group. And anytime you say them, well, that's them, those who are not in your group. And so people sometimes was translated as nations. Now, some Bibles will say, and all nations on earth will be blessed. Now, the problem with that is when you, an American reads that, we think of a nation like uh, Pakistan that has political boundaries or geographical borders. That's a nation. 
That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about the groups of people. And there are lots of groups in Pakistan. The Bill, the Sindhi, the Baluk, the Punjabi, bunch of groups. Lots of people groups. Everybody in one group calls everybody in the other groups them. Okay, now watch what would happen. What would happen if the gospel or revival breaks out among one of those groups, say among the Punjabi people, the natural inclination seems to be they get excited about Jesus and they go tell other Punjabi people. See, they tell others who are like us. That's what we do. We tell others who are like us. And we have a problem getting out to all those thems. And God knew that. He knew that if he permitted Abraham to only concentrate on one group, the gospel's never going to get out to all the others. So he included one very special word to Abraham to let him know how many groups he was supposed to be a blessing to. And that word is all. How many is all? It's all. It's not some of them, a lot of them. It's not a great majority of them, a whole bunch of them. No, it is all. All people groups on earth will be blessed through you. Question, have all people groups on earth yet been blessed with the gospel? No. Over the last few years, we're watching the number diminish, but we're not there yet. This is the Great Commission theme. Wait a minute, preacher. We're in the Old Testament. Yes, we are. We're just in the first book. And the Great Commission's there? Yes, it is. Well, uh, wait a minute. I thought Jesus initiated the idea of the Great Commission. No, he didn't. Well, then what did he do? (laughs) He just reviewed it. Where did he get it? Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Really? Yes. This is a story where this covenant that God makes with Abraham forms the foundation of a story that's going to run all the way through your Bible like a set of train tracks. And like train tracks, there are going to be two rails, top line and bottom line. Here's what I found out. Most people have no problem finding the top line verses. Those verses where God wants to bless you, watch over you, take care of you and all that stuff. But bottom line verses, we don't mark that. We just like top line. But what I've learned is anywhere I found in a Bible that people annotated, underlined, highlighted and stuff on a Bible verse, usually it's a top line verse, they haven't kept reading because almost every time I found a top line verse, if I look nearby, there'll be a bottom line thought as well. Really? Like train tracks, top line, bottom line, top line, bottom line, top line, bottom line, top line, bottom line. I don't think I remember seeing that in the Bible, preacher. I know that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's take a quick look at how this works in the Old Testament. Here's a, here's a psalm verse maybe you are familiar with. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Is that top line or bottom line? Top line, that's right. And if we've heard that verse, you've heard it many, many times. The problem is... If you ask anybody in the church I grew up in what the second verse says, we didn't know. Our pastor never read the next verse to us. We're having trouble here. Here we go. 
There we go. My pastor never read verse two. If there was a test or a quiz, we would fail. Why? Because we didn't know. Why didn't we know? We didn't care. Why didn't you care? Because we got what we wanted in verse one. God bless me, watch over me, take care of me. If that's verse one, get in its top line, guess what verse two is? Come on, say bottom line. That's right. Let's take a look. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among how many nations? All the nations. Yeah. In fact, if you keep reading, it's a bottom line psalm. Oh, we didn't read all that. Why not? We got what we wanted in verse one. It's a bottom line psalm. And we missed it. This theme of all nations, it runs throughout your entire Old Testament. Now, I, I was not taught that in Sunday school. In fact, in Sunday school and in church and even in seminary, I, I was taught that missions isn't in the Old Testament. You got to get over here into the New Testament to the Jesus stuff. Old Testament's about God and the Jews. New Testament, that's missions and Gentiles. I was taught wrong. Really? Mm-hmm. Let me take you on a little tour of the Old Testament. First Chronicles. Sometimes the only thing we know about First Chronicles is that it comes in front of Second Chronicles. Okay. What did he say there? He said, sing to the Lord. How much of the earth? All the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory. Where? Among the nations. His marvelous deeds among how many peoples? All peoples. Psalm says all kings will bow down and all nations will serve him. Isaiah said that God will cause his righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Jeremiah says all nations will gather at Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. Daniel says all peoples, all nations, men of every language worshiped him. Malachi, the Italian prophet. Okay, Malachi. Somebody's writing down Malachi. Oh, no, Malachi. God said through Malachi, my name will be great among the nations. And then he said it again. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. He has declared it. He has decreed it. It's going to happen. Amen. Woo, that sounds great. All nations. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament's filled with that. Really? Yeah. But I wasn't taught that. You see, let's go back. Let's put it to the test. You know, some basic things. Maybe you know about the Ten Commandments. Remember Moses went up on the mountainside and God was here. Now, you don't just go up the mountainside and see God. There was a cloud that was over the mountain. There was thunder and lightning. And God said, Moses, do you want to know how to get along with me? Let me write it down for you so you don't screw it up. Number one, don't have any other gods before me. Number two, no graven images. Number three, remember my Sabbath day. And number four, you know, God said, have a relationship with me. Amen. And Moses was probably ready to go back down the mountain and tell everybody. And God said, no, 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 wait a minute. Wait, 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 I'm not through. Got, a, got, got another part here. Six more, you ready? When you get down from the mountain, you're gonna run into some other people. You're gonna run into some of those that you're gonna call them. Now, let me give you some rules about how to treat them. Number one, don't kill them. 
Number two, don't bear false witness against them. Number three, don't covet what I gave to them. And and he gives us six commands on how to get along with not only each other, but them as well. Four, how to get along with him, top line. Four, how to get along with others and what to do for others, bottom line. Top line, bottom line. Well, wait a minute, preacher. You know, you're talking about this great commission thing, Jesus saying, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. I I remember, I I think I remember that there was a verse in one of the gospels that said that when Jesus taught the disciples the great commission, he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. That's right. Well, preacher, I'm just kind of curious, which scriptures did he open their eyes to understand? Was it Old Testament? Was it New Testament? Was it both Old and New Testament? Well, the truth is, New Testament had not even been written yet. (laughs) It's a trick question, but it proves a point. What's the point? That there was no New Testament to teach it from. Jesus taught the Great Commission from the Old Testament. He had to open their eyes so they could understand that. And I think that is one of the things God is doing in your church as your pastor and your team can continues to minister to you and open up avenues. God is opening your eyes to understand. And I hope he does even a little bit more this morning. The bottom line. Here's, here's a verse you're probably familiar with. Qu- quote the rest of it for me. It starts this way. Be still and be still and know that I'm God. Well, if we did it like they do on TV, the survey says, be still and know that I'm God. Congratulations, except that's not a whole verse. It's not even half of a verse. It is one third of a verse. Why would we quote and fool ourselves into thinking we memorized a whole verse when it was only one third? Because we don't care about the bottom line. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God is saying, here's the reason I'm filling your hose to bless the thems. Go get them. There are still some who after 2,000 years, we have not blessed them yet. They've never heard the name of Jesus. Why? because we have yearbook theology. What is that? Well, did you get, did anybody go to school and get a yearbook? I didn't say you had to graduate. Just, (laughs) did you get a book? Yes? Okay, now in theory, if you got a yearbook, in theory, all the, the, the administration, their pictures are in the book, and all the faculty, their pictures are in the book, and all the other students, their, their pictures are, is in the book. Whose picture did you turn to first when you got your book? You turn to your own picture. Why? You want to know, am I cute? <laughs> Did they elect me to anything? What do we do with the Bible? Where am I any of this? What's God going to do for me? Where am I? Am I cute? As a result, we end up only reading half the Bible. You mean Old or New Testament? No, I don't mean that. I mean, we either read top line and forget the bottom line. Hmm. How about some of the stories you grew up with? David and Goliath. Oh, that's a good story. Little David went out and he whooped up. That's in the Hebrew. He whooped up. That's Southern Hebrew, I think. He whooped up on big Goliath. 
the moral of the story, and I can almost remember my teacher saying something like, boys and girls, you know what we learned from this story? It doesn't matter how little you are or how big the giants are in your life, but as long as God is on your side, you can overcome. Is that similar to what you learned, kind of? Yeah, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong, but it's a top line lesson. It's not incorrect, it's just incomplete unless you also learn the bottom line. You mean missions? I mean missions. Well, missions isn't in that story. Yes, it is. Where? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The bottom line to David and Goliath? David said to Goliath, this day I will, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will take your head from you so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Who did he want to know? The world. How many is that? All. He wanted all nations to recognize that there is God and God will make himself known to all people groups. How about the story of Daniel the lion's den? Now that's a good one. Daniel would pray three times a day. Some men told him not to. And if he continued, they would throw him into a lion's den. He continued. They threw him into a lion's den, but God saved him. Moral of the story, it doesn't matter uh, what you might face in the way of trouble as long as you stay faithful and walk with Jesus. He'll take care of you when your day of trouble comes. Now, is that wrong? No, it's not incorrect, but it's incomplete because that was a, what kind of lesson? Top line and it wasn't a bottom line. See, the top line's not wrong, but if you don't teach the rest of it, we get a very lopsided view of what it's all about. Let's go to that story, the bottom line to Daniel and the lion's den. After this episode, then the king wrote to all the peoples, all the nations, the men of every language. And he said, I issue a decree in my kingdom that people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. What was Daniel doing? He was making God famous. To who? All the peoples, all the nations, the men of every language. He shared that story with the king and the king sits down and writes a letter to all the other nations, missions in the Old Testament. Wow. How about this one, the 10 plagues? Now that's good. Moses went down and, and, you know, to the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, no. So God sent him 10 audio visuals to persuade him. (laughs) We know them as the what? the 10 plagues. And the lesson we teach is if you obey God, you get freedom. And if you don't, you get plagued. And that's not entirely wrong, but it, see, it's kind of correct, but, but it's not incorrect, but, but, but it's incomplete because it was a top line and not a bottom line. Well, where's the bottom line to the 10 plagues? Well, you got to understand first that every one of the episodes of the plagues was God in heaven making fun of and showing his authority over the false gods of the Egyptians. And they had a bunch. They had one that was the God of the Nile River. They thought he was the God of life. I can only imagine God up in heaven looking down and thinking, (laughs) come here, you got to see this. Look at this. They're worshiping the the Nile River like it's the God of life. (laughs) That's so cute. Stupid. But cute, you almost not read my book. 
I never said life is in the river. I said life is in the blood. And God turned all the water in the Nile River to blood, showing his power and authority over their false god who could not stop God. They had a goddess, half woman, half frog. Go figure. God says, you like frogs? <laughs> I'll give you frogs. Brrr, frogs everywhere. They're jumping out of your cupboard. You put your foot in your slipper in the morning and something slimy there going to rip it. And God, God, God says, you like frogs? I'm giving them to you. Hmm. Why did God do all that to their making fun of and showing his authority over their false gods? He wanted those Egyptians to begin to think Hello, maybe we're not worshiping the right gods here. I had a God over here, but he overcame it. I had a God over there and over there, he overcame them too. I had a God over here and over there, he overcame them. I had a God over here and over He overcame all my gods. Maybe I should worship him. Now that would be cool if that was in the Bible, wouldn't it? Let's take a look. Exodus chapter 12. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them. Other people? Mm -hmm. Apparently they are not Jewish men. They're not Jewish women. They're not Jewish children, which means they're probably not Jewish. Well, then what are they? Something else. Gentiles. Wait a minute. Gentiles come into the kingdom? Yes. Where is this? Old Testament. What book? Second one. And the first one, God says, all nations. That's the job. Second book, he starts bringing them in. Hmm. But if we're like a selfish bride, our entire view of the world is distorted. We don't have the right perspective either on scripture, how we live, what we live for, and what we ought to do. Let me show you what I mean with the map. This is the map that I grew up with in elementary school. Does that look familiar? Okay, where's the United States on that map? Right smack in the middle. It's like, wow, the world revolves around us. Let's celebrate and have a party. We even labeled it US, us. <laughs> Well, when I got to high school, they changed the map. They moved things around a bit. Now, not out of whack, but they, they pushed the United States over to that side over there. And so then I began to think, well, now that looks more realistic. But the problem is, nobody told me. My teacher didn't teach this. That's not the way the world looks. Not at all. Really? Mm-hmm. You see, this is the Mercator map. A guy named Mercator drew this map. Mercator was German. Where's Germany on the map? <laughs> right in the middle. It's all about him and his people. But watch this. See, now you measure going up and down on a globe or a world map, not by miles, but by degrees of latitude. And the distance between those two arrows is about 15 degrees of latitude. And the distance between those two arrows is about 15 degrees of latitude. Whoa, you mean those are the same? Mm hmm It doesn't look like it. I know. It's distorted. 
As he drew the map, when he got up in the north, he stretched the lines out further and made everything appear bigger. Kind of like the writing on a balloon when you blow it up and the letters get bigger. That's what happened with the map. The countries in, in the north look bigger than they really are. Let me show you this. Look, if you were to fold that map from top to bottom, fold it right in the middle, you'd fold it where those two arrows meet. It's a map of the world that must be the middle of the world because it's the middle of the map. That's the equator. No, the equator does not go through Connecticut. <laughs> Where's the equator? It's down there. Well, that's weird. No, it's distorted. Not only did he spread things out on top, he pushed everything down south. Really? Yes, he did. Huh. Let's go back. Look, see, see Africa kind of short and stubby? That's not Africa. That's Africa. Well, why is it so huge? Because Africa is so huge. That's why. <laughs> this is the Peter's projection map. It projects the world in proper size of one country to another. That's more like the way it really is. Why is South America so long? Because it is. Well, that's weird. No, that's the way it is. See, you've seen it distorted for so long. When you see it the way it is, you think that's odd. That's weird. Look at this. It's back to the old map. The top half, bottom half. Which one looks a little bit bigger? Top or bottom? Top looks a little bit bigger to me too. Okay, but if you measure it, that's only 17 million square miles. If you measure the bottom, it's over twice as big. But it looks smaller. It's distorted. Look at Greenland. Greenland. China. Greenland. China. Greenland is less than a million square miles. China is over four and a half times as big. Doesn't look like it. I know. It's distorted. One of these maps represents not only your view of the world, but maybe of your scripture as well. Oh, it's all about us. No, it's not. Okay, it's not all about us, but, you know, missions, that doesn't come into play until you get over there in the New Testament. Jesus and the disciples. No, that's not right. That's distorted. God has always had a heart for people of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Yes. Now you got the right picture. But that's weird. I know. It's not the way you grew up, perhaps. But that's the way it is. How's it all going to end? Revelation. In the book of Revelation says there's a song being sung by all the people that are there in heaven. And it goes like this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. They're singing to Jesus. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from just about every tribe and language and people and nation. You should be thinking, uh-uh, it doesn't say just about. And you would be correct. Well, why did you put it in there? Because sometimes the easiest way to show you what something does say is to point out what it does not say. It does not say that Jesus redeemed people from just about a whole bunch of, a lot of, a great majority of. It says he redeemed people from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. In other words, what God set out to do in the very beginning of the Bible, he's going to pull off at the very end of time. How important is that? That's pretty important. We need to be finishing the task. Why? Because in order for there to be people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation in heaven, we have to first reach them. If we haven't reached them, we haven't finished the task. Oh. 
How important is that? That's pretty important. Jesus said this kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached among all nations. And then the end will come. When's Jesus coming back? After we reach all nations. I wasn't taught that. That doesn't mean it's not right. Jesus said it. Huh. You see, there are still remaining 964 UUPGs. That means unreached, unengaged people groups. Unreached means that it's a country or a people group that might have some believers, might even have some churches, but it's such a small group, they don't even measure 2% of the total population. Unengaged means they've never heard the name of Jesus. There are no believers. There is no church. There is no Bible. There's no hope. And God says, here's the reason I'm blessing you. To fill up your garden hose so that you reach those who are unengaged. What's your theme for this week? Engage. Who should you engage? The unengaged. See, if the mission strategy of our fathers and our grandfathers did not reach, after 2,000 years, they still didn't reach the UUPGs, why would we keep using their strategy when it's not really a formula for success? I think what we need is a new missions attitude and a new mission strategy. We need to figure out who these people are, where they are, what kind of technology we have, and where's the money? where can we send these people to go win those people so that people of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation begin to be warned. We need missions 3.0. We need an upgrade. Well, for the most part, we were not taught that at all. How do we do that? How do you finish the task? Well, there are a number of things you can do. One of those things is you can go to a, a program called Finishing the Task. That's a good name. It's the first week of December. You already have a group from your church signed up to go. Maybe you should go too. At that place, they'll talk to you about the people groups that have never yet been reached, what the strategies are that you and your church can use, and what's the technology that can be done. How can this happen? It's all there, known as FTT. It's there at Saddleback Church. They're going to tell, talk to you about the tools. They'll even give you the list. This right here is the list of people groups that are left unreached. I carry this with me everywhere I go, and uh, I, I renew it every month because every month it kind of gets updated. Just a year and a half ago, there were close to 2,000. Two years ago, there were 2,000. We are down to 964 in two years. Yeah, let me tell you. We, a group of churches in Lexington, Kentucky got together. We challenged them. We told them about Nepal. Nepal had 57 unreached people groups. And we, they said, well, what's it going to take to win all those, to get to the, all those people? And we said, well, if we use indigenous people, it'll cost about $10,000 a year. It takes about three years for them to get in there, establish a church, and begin to grow so that at the end of three years, it's a self-sustaining and self-replicating church. So they're planning other churches. $10,000 a year, three years, $30,000. Huh. And there were 57 Lexington said, we will take all 57. That was a year and a half ago. A year and a half later, 57 people groups who had never heard the gospel in 2,000 years 
these churches had raised one and a half million dollars and they sent 60 some missionaries into those 57 groups. There is right now today at least one and in several places, several churches in every one of those groups. Boom, 57, knock off the map right there. And we're seeing that happen over and over. All we want is the world to jump out at you as, we, as you read your Bible. It doesn't matter where you read it, Old Testament, New Testament. Just get, the God, just get God out there. And, and the problem is we have cat and dog theology. You've heard that that's, was mentioned. What does that mean? Cats look at you and they say, you feed me, you... Oh, I'm sorry, dogs. Let me start with those. Dogs will say, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be God. Cats will look at you and say, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me. I must be God. <laughs> and see, we, we, we look through the Bible and we look at God's love and all that he does for us and we think, wow, we must be really important. And we become that selfish bride and God's trying to move us. He's trying to move us away from cat theology. <laughs> and he's trying to move us into... Dog theology. Now, here's my prayer. I have a prayer team wrapped around the world. I have people in Australia, people in South Africa, people in Poland and Romania who have prayed for you. I tell them where I'm going and I say, pray for them. Now, here's the prayer. You need to understand this. I ask them to pray that when you leave the service and you leave the door of the church and you go to the door of your car, uh, we're praying that Satan is standing between those two doors. Yeah, and when you come out, Satan says, Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? So, here's the deal. Anytime... You can get the song, Who Let the Dogs Out in a Sermon. Man, you've taken preaching to a whole nother level. And of course, I got my uh, bulldog shirt on, by the way. Ah, ah, see? Hey, listen, um, let me challenge y'all to something real quick here before we walk out of here. I, I know for a fact, I just know, that the Holy Spirit was uh, working in some of your lives in a very unique way. Hey, you know, we, we all understand that we're to pray, um, you know, for all of these people groups that are out there, these unengaged folks who don't know the Lord, and when we're generous and we send people, you know, out all over the, the world to try to reach people with the gospel. You get that. But I just believe there's one or two or six of you here, and you know what? you know. Your heart's beating right now like crazy, you know. I'm supposed to do something just crazy. I'm supposed to like, like leave the comforts of this city, my family, my friends, my career, and I'm supposed to be one of those guys that goes out yeah, in a minute we're going to walk out of here and the dogs are all going to walk back into our neighborhoods and all that. But there's one of you or two of you or five of you, maybe over in the venue or out in the cafe, and you know 
you're supposed to go. You know what? And I understand there's fear and all of that kind of stuff. I, I get it. But you just know. And part of the fear is, is, is not understanding what the next steps might be. And here's the deal. If you know that you're supposed to do something greater than just give and pray, that you're to go, literally go. You need to, you need to become a part of our global reach team. Here's what you do, okay? Is you find, you call the church and ask to talk with Roger, Pastor Roger, our, our global pastor, and say, you know what, I was at church and I don't know what's going on in my life. And here's the thing, we're not gonna send you off to some weird land without training you. It's, you know, we'll equip you. It takes some time. All of these people that you saw up here earlier, people in this list are just in one day, you know, call up the global guy and, you know, two days later they were somewhere in Zimbabwe. It's not the way it works. But the next step is to call Roger and say, hey, I'm a... I'm a little bit nervous, I'm a little bit scared, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but, but help me. And we will do all that we can to prepare you and equip you. It's, it's gonna take a sacrifice on, on your part. It's not an easy gig to get ready to go, be sent out, but we'll, we'll, we'll help you. And I just believe, it's, it's somebody in this room, it's a single gal, it's a single guy, it's a married couple, it's, it's a, a grandma or a grandpa. There, there's somebody here, and you know, you know that you're supposed to be the one. You're the next Steve or, and Diane Warren or the next uh, uh, you know, Grovers or whoever the missionaries are from our church that we've sent out. And we've sent out a ton of couples from our church. Ton of couples. You know it. And I guarantee you by the time you get up and walk out to your car, the enemy will be all over you like a cheap suit, man. And you'll have all the reasons why it can't be you. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm not married, I'm not single, I don't make enough money, I'm not educated enough. How do I, there'd just be a zillion things. And for many of you, you know what? That fear will stifle what God wants to do in your life. But there might be one or two of you that go, whoa, okay. Count me in, man. I'll begin whatever the process is to going to one of these unreached people groups that we might finish this task quicker than, than maybe we, we thought. Everybody here stand up. Everybody in the venue stand and you're in the cafe stand. And so, Lord, thank you for a great weekend, God. I'm grateful that we could have a guy like, like Gerald here, man. Well, that was just, it was fun in the midst of just weighty stuff. And I'm grateful, God, that um, we could have him here, Lord. I, I have no doubt that all of us have been encouraged and challenged. Father, give us a, a great afternoon, and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Amen, folks. Go out and meet some of our missionaries out in the hallway out there, okay? Blessings. Blessings.